it's really important for leaders to build other leaders because that to me is a sign of good leader. So to be building these characteristics of innovation, of resilience, of cultural flexibility and being able to see things from different points of view, I think it's important to make sure that whatever I do, I am helping, I'm inspiring, and I'm kind of helping to create conditions for someone to see a little behind the curtain and to see what's got me this far and maybe to make introductions for them. At least that I'm helping then take the next step forward. Try this bad boy out for science. You are welcome to take a seat at the table where we use a new lens, where humanity are stakeholders. Different distinctions encouraged, intention starts from a no-judgment zone. A certain age is not criteria and where you become comfortable with the uncomfortable to facilitate a new conversation. All right, we're live. We're here. Have you been on StreamYard before? Never. Okay. I mean, you've been there. So, so you're a virgin. Ooh. <laughs> okay, so uh, I know I knew that would make you laugh. See, it's going to be one of those days. So, so naughty and we're just starting. I know. So anything can happen on the decision table, by the way. And that's what this is about. We are, you know, just a a platform where, I don't know, I get to, you know, I've said this to you before, that I get to have these amazing conversations. And sometimes I just, I feel spoiled because I've just had this amazing conversation and I wish the world could listen in on it kind of thing, right? And so this this is what this is. I think that, you know, for anything to change going forward, we have to look at, you know, doing things differently. And part of that is me committing to having new conversations every day right now and with different people from looking through different lenses. And, you know, kind of, you know me, Juliet, my whole thinking is around what if we could see humanity as as stakeholders at the decision table, right? And so I believe that's part of this new approach to leadership that I'm really seeing is needed and what and then asking these questions going, what can it look like? What does it need to look like? And so hopefully throughout our conversation today, We'll pull some some little insights from your world and and how that can look. So for those that are listening, I know we're we're on early today. What time is it where you are, Juliet? It's uh, ten fifteen p.m. So it's ten fifteen. So I wanted to. I know it's only a few minutes early. It's like fifteen or so minutes early. But I thought for Juliet's sake, we should uh, you know. Make an exception and pull it forward even just 15 minutes. So, Juliet, when you hear me say things like a need for a new approach, what does that bring up inside of you? Excitement because other people, because you recognize it and I know other people recognize it. And, you know, this absolutely is the time. I guess it's always the time, but right now there are some incredible, uh, obviously difficulties and challenges, but also incredible opportunities. And I just see and experience and participate in a kind of uprising of people joining hands together and doing good and just changing, overcoming barriers, actually almost pretty naturally. I mean, there's no need for, you know, there's no need for actual revolutions. The system seems to be changing because we are just brave enough to finally say, hey, we'd love to change it and here's what I'm going to do and here's what you're going to do. Let's do it together. And so I can see it already. 
Okay. So you're saying the system is changing and people are getting brave enough. Tell me more about those two things. Well, I think that right now the world is in this kind of fascinating, possibly scary, depending on the way you look at it, Mm -hmm. place where obviously we've got the global pandemic and all the impact, immediate impacts of that and the economic shocks. We've got the interesting policy responses to that with the sort of repressive, with repressive lockdowns. We've got the rise of nationalism in many countries. We've got um, changing, you know, the sort of splintering of democracy mm. with uh, Britain leaving, you know, Brexit, etc. Um, and many nations somewhat, not all of them, but many of them sort of looking like they're pursuing a me first strategy. Certainly that was the case in the US until hopefully Wednesday when things have changed. Um, <laughs> And yeah, so there's kind of all of this stress and pressure. And I feel like we're in a kind of pressure, at a pressure point now where, yes, things could go horribly wrong, but there's so much goodwill and so many people who are kind of like, okay, and, and you know, and people are at, at, at sort of breaking point. And that's not to be played down because it's a horrible, horrible thing. And, and a lot of people are suffering more than before, I think. But I also see, you know, I'm kind of an eternal optimist. I also see this as a sense. Yeah, I am. And it's opportunity to kind of just, I don't know, take that entrepreneurial approach to get things done that make a difference and help and help people. And so I've taken us off the topic already. That's that's um, what we do here. So don't worry. I love it. What is that? Where do we go? I mean, that's all part of our conversations, right? Well, that's true. That's true. That's true. That's how we, that's how people talk. So the systems that I were referring to was kind of democracy was, which has been a flawed for a long time. It's just, we're seeing it much more now. It's capitalism, which has just got out of hand. I think we've already seen before that communism didn't work so well either. So I just feel that they've got to be some new, you know, and nationalism doesn't seem, I don't think is necessarily the answer. Globalization, I feel like I'm a global citizen. So I've always thought that, you know, together, the working globally is the way to go. But that seems to have created, you know, some disparities as well. I think every mm-hmm. system you know, so that we thought of so far has. So it's time for a new system. I don't think we can push into any one of those old systems. They don't really work for everybody. And I think that we need to just kind of you know be be prepared to think okay it's getting we're in the messy middle and it's going to be messy for sorry so is, it, is it pieces <laughs> of all those different ones or is it a whole new system in that way is how do you think about that I think we're kind of inventing it together so I I highly mm. doubt any one person can see it as that kind of huge eagle vision you can see bits yeah. of it and, and I think that that's part of that that's part of the reason why we need to come together kind of more than ever so that we can put together, it's like it's like piecing a patchwork, I suppose, or a, you know, like a patchwork quilt, isn't it? Yeah, because I spent I spent so many hours patching. Well, no, see, I don't even know how to say it. Me too. <laughs> non domestic goddess. <laughs> Times two. And I know what they look like. <laughs> I saw it once on a movie. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So you have your your skill and your piece and your, yeah. and your understanding of the vision. And um, actually, when you put it with someone else, I know that you are someone who can see how much that amplifies it. Mm. Other people get nervous because they're like, it's mine and I need to hold on to mine and I'm not sure I can share it because, you know, what if it gets worse? And that's yeah. actually really just a kind of big fear thing. 
But you are one of those people who can go and say, okay, if I put my pace with yours and, you know, some of the pieces I'm mm. going to put in next to you are more marvellous than mine and better stitch and they've got golden thread and mine's a bit shabby in this corner and I'm slightly embarrassed by that bit. But <laughs> still, the whole just works so beautifully and it's the only yeah. way we're going to do it. I think I really think so. So a new approach for you, part of that would be collaborative, more collaborative style. Definitely yeah. more collaborative, yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that. I, you know, you know me, I love collaboration, but I honestly don't think, and I, and I said this the other day on a decision table, but I really struggle to see great examples of collaborative styles out there because, and, and as long as we, you know, there's this awareness around the importance of having different distinctions at the table and yet it's not done that well. And, People are scared because if they say the wrong thing, do the wrong thing, offend someone. And so actually that makes it even harder to get, you know, more people at the table in a lot of ways. And it's actually easier again to get more of the same people because at least I know how to talk to you and I know how to not upset you and I'm not going to say the wrong thing and get myself sued or shut down. I don't know. These are kind of real things. So on one hand, we want this collaborative new style coming into it, but then how does that work with what's happening right now or what do you see? Well, I think that we, that, that, and I'm not a, I'm not a huge conspiracy theorist, but I think that the media is really stoking all these divisions between people and that we are kind of getting more and more divided. And, and it's also partly just the algorithms and social media. Oh, totally. Um, and so, uh, which we, you know, frankly, we're all addicted to in one way or another, most of us and are. Well, I think that's the bigger issue. It's, it's yes, these algorithms are in place, but the worst thing is now it's become an addiction. So whether it was you were meant to get yourself down that rabbit hole and then begin to have this opinion or see it as, well, we can't do this or that or whatever, it's now become so ingrained in our DNA in a lot of ways because of what we're listening to. So, sorry, carry on on that one. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that we've kind of, you know, whether 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 it's kind of a somebody's cunning evil plan or not, it doesn't really matter. The point is we've sort of been corralled into this way that we don't yeah. see other options and we don't talk to each other. We don't even look for middle ground. We're just like, well, you know, you have this opinion, which is just clearly stupid. And then, and mm. if I say you're stupid, then why would you even listen to me? Because, you yeah. know, that's not a very good way to have a com- open a conversation. Furthermore, I'm probably not even going to ask you anything because I'm sitting yeah. there thinking I'm the right one. You're just wrong. And everything is right and wrong and black and white and this and that and very extreme, you know, mm. right wing and left wing and blah, blah, blah. And in fact, interestingly, we've been taught that in the end, uh, some of the online businesses to do that in marketing, to be very polarizing so that the people who support you will come and support you. But I actually think that's the wrong approach because, there's, you know, how are we ever going to build these bridges and build this collaboration if we just continue to fan these divisions and fan this thinking that is not about options. It's about I put my head down and run in one direction. I don't listen to anyone. I don't look up until I've got there. And if there's a barrier, I'm just going to carry on pushing through. Well, believe me, I've tried carrying on pushing through and it doesn't always work. (laughs) Sometimes it does, but a lot of the times it just hurts your head, (laughs) you know, smashing that wall. Yeah. And actually, then when I look around and think, I was really self-righteous about that. Mm. And that's kind of, you know, then I have to kind of live with myself and think, oh, that wasn't very nice. You know, I like to think that I'm a nice person and that I'm not. 
judgy judgy but actually really I am quite judgy because so I'm how like, do well, we maybe maybe part of this new approach is that you know we're less judgy right I always say this is what I love about the decision table like there is no right or wrong and just know that probably I'm not going to even necessarily going to agree with everything that you say at the table but that's part of what we need to have. We need places where we can start doing this. How do you see it? How do you see us being less judgy? How do you see us not letting our biases take over our that moment? You know, it's like seeing someone who is in a certain dress and then putting a label on them or seeing someone who you know, maybe in, in many colors, many situations, it's been colors and the biases that you have because you see a color. You know, how do we get past some of these things that that really be, bring judgment because of biases we have either got or we are getting because of maybe environmental, maybe other things? I don't know. Any insights around that? Well, I think that I, mean, I don't claim to have all the answers. I'm not a guru, NB. No, but here's the thing, and why I'm asking you these questions is because all the time we're looking, I want to see through your lens. I see it through my lens, but maybe you see it through a different lens that I could actually learn from or I can gain some more insights to why that's even more, you know, something that is a good thing to take on. So no judgment in, in, in a new approach or leaving behind judgment and moving into no judgment zones. How do we do that? What could that look like? Why would we do that? Why would we do it? I think because we could we could make a lot more progress if we could mm. even even very simply just go down to what are our commonalities, mm-hmm. you know? When, when you're sitting there next to your enemy, let's say, I'm just, I'm again, giving an extreme yeah. example. Because that's that's. I love working with extremes. You know that. So bring it on. So if you're sitting there next to your enemy and you're kind of pre-triggered before you've gone in, because you're kind of like, Mm. well, you're suspicious of them, or you're angry at them, or you're remembering all the things that you know they've done wrong, or imagining all the things that could go wrong, or whatever it is. That's how often how you walk into a room with someone, or even even actually you might not even walk into the room like that, but when you see them, you're like oh my gosh, or something worse. And, um, you know, why the heck is that person here, mm-hmm. etc. So, I mean, that's part of it, isn't it? That we have that, uh, we have so much thinking that some of it's almost kind of instantaneous. It's not really thinking. It's just a thought has appeared mm-hmm. and we kind of go along with it. So I think it's about being self-aware a lot. And this is not always easy, but I think it's taking time out during the day to just perhaps go over some situations that you think could have gone better and just analyzing them and then trying to really, really working hard to understand another view. Because mm-hmm. I, the, the, my, the truth is, yes, of course, there are a few psychopaths in the world, but they're not as many as we think they are, you know, because we've sort of glorified them in Western conversations and media, films, etc. But there aren't really that many. So most people are actually genuinely doing their best and they often, and then they'll have a reason for doing what they think is right that you might think is wrong or cruel or oppressive or whatever it is and they may not even see that because they're trying to do the right thing and they probably also you know at night think well I've you know I made the right decision and and, and that Juliet I've just met she was so wrong I can't believe it she she couldn't even see yeah. my view so I think it's really about being a bit more aware it's about taking time you know when you can pockets of time to kind of analyze situations that you think could have gone better and then 
or that surprised you even and you know what could what could be behind that and just stretching your mind to think of five reasons why they acted that way whether you agree with them or not I think that's quite helpful that's one thing I'm really lucky because I have been an intercultural trainer so mm-hmm. I get to train people from one culture who moved to another another culture and I did a training last week um, with someone from China who moved to Kenya and you know could see so much incredible things, probably that Kenyans can't even see about themselves. Mm. Quite they take it for granted because you've got this new, fresh mind, as it were, and fresh insight, yes. as you say, a fresh way of looking at things. Um, some things are a bit baffling because they seem wrong in your culture, perhaps, and some things are delightful because you would normally do them that way, but it's actually better. You know, you think, oh, that could yeah. be nicer. So one thing that I t- we teach people is how to kind of assess a situation and just think about different attitudes as, as on a gradient. So, you know, it, our traditional right and wrong, but yes. there's all, we know there's all these kind of shades of gray in between. Yeah. And this person is absolutely adamant at something I think is wrong. And do I shift how I behave a little bit more towards them? Or do I go a bit more towards my way? Or, you know, how can I, how can we resolve the situation? And, and it's so fascinating because yeah. you can, can I give you an example? Of course. I won't give you the example from, from this from this particular person because of confidentiality, but mm. the classic example is you're driving along in a car. Like, can I do it with you, Kimberly? You're driving oh, along in a car. Yes. And actually, you're not driving. You're in the passenger seat and a friend oh. is driving and you're having oh. a deep conversation. I'm feeling plastic already. <laughs> you're okay. okay, sorry, sorry, sorry. Yes, just <laughs> And you're chatting away to them and you're just kind of looking at somewhere if you've never been. So sort of looking out at the road mm-hmm. and seeing the pedestrians yeah. and the trees and the whatever else yeah. you see. And you see a oh, sign. Oh, there's a zebra. Oh, no. Yeah. Wrong country. You're in my hometown. <laughs> I'm just around the corner, Juliet. <laughs> Woo. Maybe I'm driving. Although I oh, hope. Here we go. Anyway, so, so you're looking, you're looking around, and you see this. You see a sign happens to kind of catch your eye, and it says, uh-huh. let's say, it says fifty, and it's the speed limit. And so you're just kind of chatting away, blah blah blah, and you happen to look at my, the um, speedometer of the car, and you mm. see that the driver is doing a little above that, maybe fifty-five, maybe sixty. And why is it? <laughs> you know what I'm like. <laughs> Speed monster, speed queen, exactly. So, so I can't in Zimbabwe. There's too many potholes. But anyway, oh, yes. hmm. so you happen to say you know that your friend is speeding, and before hmm. you have a chance to say anything, do anything, think because you're looking this way. Bang! You hit a pedestrian. Oh. Now fast forward three months, and you're in and you're in court. And this is the system in this legal system in this country. Hmm. You're in court, and the judge says to you, Kerry Marie. Do you know if your friend was speeding? What are you going to say? Now, don't say it, but I bet mm. you already know what you're doing. I bet you know mm. instantly. And what you know instantly is what you think is the right thing. Mm. Of course it is. You're not going to do the wrong thing. So you, if, depending which culture you come from, for instance, the classic example is 97% of Americans would say, my friend was speeding. And 90 six or so, or you'd have to check the figures, but it's around about then, of Koreans would say, no, either I don't have an, I don't know, I don't know anything about it, I wasn't really paying attention, or they would just basically cover for their friend, regardless of the outcome of the pedestrian. Interesting. Um, and this is the, the really interesting part is Koreans then take that and they say, how can you trust an American? They don't even stand up for their friends. Ah. 
And Americans say, how can you trust a Korean? Because they lie. Yeah. And it's just what you see as right and wrong is different. So in Korea, you know, loyalty to your, to, if it's a collectivist culture, loyalty to your tribe and your friends is much more important than, you know, the truth in that situation. Yeah. And uh, Americans are like, the law is the law and it's always right. By the way, you know, it's not always, it's not always well, well used in some countries. Perhaps it is yeah. in America, perhaps it isn't. But, um, you know, that's the kind of conditioning thinking so that most yeah. people would. So that's what, that, so you have that view. So yeah, so it's quite interesting that you're kind of conditioned through your life to have a lot of moral decisions and you don't even, you're not even aware of them because they're, they're normal to you. That's your norms. And so if you want to be able to collaborate with people who is you, your traditional enemy or who you see as have some, having such an opposing opinion to you, you've got to be prepared to just shift the way you think basically yeah and i think and i think a lot of that is becoming aware right of creating you know i talk about in this new approach the need to curate safe spaces and i really do say safe because i think there are spaces at times but they're not always safe to bring your distinctions to the table the things that are important to you and then and then i think you know part of that awareness is actually listening is the fact that, you know, I love the way that you just, you know, it really, it's a different perspective, like looking through different lenses and getting different perspectives. But what a great way that you just said that. You know, I think that we often don't listen. We we listen with going, what is our next intent to be heard here? Rather than actually listening and going, what is it I could take from this? What is it that I'm going to leave behind? Because I think that, you know, and this goes, and I, you know, I talk about this a lot, but the muscle of human intelligence that, you know, part of human intelligence is actually humans thinking for themselves again. I think part of the conditioning, part of the, the problem of the systems that we've had is that we've got kind of so used to doing things a certain way, so used to be told what to do, that we're actually forgetting to think for ourselves or think for our fellow humans, right? And so where that muscle is no longer either existing or it's very weak because we're not using it. Uh, you know, I don't know. What do you think on that side of it? Oh, absolutely. I do agree with that. And I think it's also to do with social conditioning and us, you know, just no matter how much we declare that we are independent and we don't need anybody. Um, exactly. We all do want to belong. And then the third thing is is the brain wiring, right? Just how you, yeah. is how you wire your brain. So if you get into habitual ways of thinking and then you sort of automatically have that reaction without even having kind of consciously analyzed what just happened and then reacting. It's just kind of Boom. And you don't question that because that's the shortcut thinking, isn't it? So, so yeah. for me, that would mean patterns would be very solidly put into the way that systems are run or, you know, the patterns behind a lot of this is that, you know, the biases have come because we're so conditioned to these patterns. That's a hard thing to change. And in, in a lot of cases, many would say that's just way too hard. And you see it, you see a lot, I mean, in the country that you're living in, you see a lot of the devastation from bad choices or bad decisions or bad patterns, right? And in some ways, 
I mean, it must, you must get to moments where you go, this is just all too big. I, can, I don't even know that I can make any difference here. And yet you continue to. So where does that come from? Which bit? The motivation to continue? I don't or- know. You tell me. Well, hmm, there was quite a lot. I'm just trying to unpack what you said because there was quite a lot into it and, and I started uh, thinking thinking away. Well, go uh, down the way you're thinking and we'll come back to some of the other bits. <laughs> We can okay. do that. That's how we roll. Well, that's true. That's true. There's no, there's no correct way, no right way, and no wrong way. Um, I mean, I think I do think uh, habitual thinking is very common, and I, it is about patterns, and it is about interrupting patterns. I think we find if we need to, or if something big is happening, it's very easy for us to, to change a pattern. I think actually change. We have a good big story, which, by the way, I'm fully subscribed to, that change can be incredibly hard, especially kind of personal change. And I'm a behavior change <laughs> expert. <laughs> and there are some habits of mine that I find really hard to change. And, and, and I think it's partly a story because I also have seen the change can happen literally just like that in a total instant. Yeah. I mean, the world changed when the pandemic came. If the world can change in an instant, instant, I guarantee you and me can change. And we have done it before. Totally. And we can do it again. It's just whether we kind of allow ourselves to trust it and all of, you know, and, and whether we'll just step into it and own it. And I find if I'm taking kind of a big leap, I think you've seen me several times take a big leap and do something that was scary or really different or uncomfortable. Well, you the example of the project that you're working on now. So, yeah, I'm helping. I'm working in Zimbabwe and I'm helping address the oxygen shortage for COVID response, basically, yeah. in the country. And uh, it's polit- it's a political minefield. Yeah. Really. But the thing was, the thing was that I wanted to bring out of that was you weren't doing that, say, well, you were a year ago probably now, but, you know, two years ago. Like that wasn't even probably on your radar, right? I didn't even think about it in February last year. And then March there came. Go, February. <laughs> March came, you know, COVID came and this thing was bigger than me and somebody needed you to do something. And the yeah. hilarious thing, Kerry Marie, is I went around kind of disabling myself going, someone needs to do something. And at least I didn't just give up at that, but I kind of went to several people and said, will you do this? Yeah. And they were like, no, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. And I'm like, oh, sugar, it's going to have to be me. Uh-huh. So I did rather to my assumption. But the, but the moment you take a leap and then you suddenly realize, oh, my goodness, I'm out in this new, uncomfortable, slightly scary place. Slightly scary. Not feeling, yeah. not feeling exposed, perhaps, <laughs> and kind of not like I have enough support or whatever. And it's just that it's really uncomfortable. And, and it's tempting. It's such a nice way, Juliet, that you're saying that. It's just really uncomfortable. By the way, Juliet's had a lot of challenges hit her. It is more than uncomfortable. Just for the record, I'd like to state right here, it's a little uncomfortable. Yes. Anyway, um, keep there, there have been moments when I'm just. I'm really um, oh, sorry, I love when friends come on here, and it's a little uncomfortable. I'm like, you know, girl, I, I've seen some of those moments in your world that are a little uncomfortable, and I would no, say I that were less uncomfortable and just devastating. Honestly, sometimes on our monthly call, I'd get off from Julie. <laughs> <laughs> and I would just, I would literally cry for you, your country, your, what you go, because you are in the, the midst of really challenging things. And I know sometimes you can't talk about it, particularly in open spaces, but, you know, things that 
we are so fortunate. We can walk down our streets. We can go to the shelves and find the food that we want on the shelves. We don't have to, you know, what what is it? Um, have to park it, you know, like for ages waiting for petrol for the car. There's, we don't have to go to other countries to try and find our, what we need as medical supplies or anything else. We have it in our own little suburbs, let alone in our country, a lot of this stuff. So, you know, it does break my heart that you are, that there are still nations and, and, and places across the earth where this is the norm. And I think that we, and I do get cranky about it and I get upset about it because I hear so many complaining about, and I call it all the time, first world problems. Anyone that knows me in my world, I say that's a first world problem. I I do it to myself all the time because if I start whinging about something, I go, this is a first world problem. And I go, my perspective goes back to, oh my goodness, you know that little uncomfortable moment that Juliet talked about today? Right? Because that's perspective. I go, okay, my little uncomfortable moment was really different to that uncomfortable moment that Juliet was speaking about today. And the fact that she has people that work within her and they need medication and that medication is really hard to get hold of. I remember those little things because I have a son who is epileptic. And if he doesn't have his medication, that would cause absolute chaos for him and so those little things mean a huge amount to me because I go I'm able to get that I go to the pharmacy I put a prescription in I get something out what would it be like being in a country and I you know having traveled the world and knowing I count all the medication that he's got to be on and I make sure that we've got enough as we've traveled I've got extra in case we get stuck in a country you know, like I know that kind of fear of, oh, what if you run out? But I don't really because I don't live where there is just isn't any access to it, right? So your uncomfortable moments is what I'm trying to say are a little <laughs> more uncomfortable than many of the listeners. And and I just want to put a bit of perspective on that because I always, you know, you give yourself a hard time, Juliet, but anyone on here by the way Kimberly says hello Juliet Kimberly Brenner but anyone that's on here give love to Juliet man she deserves it because her little uncomfortable are way more than you are uncomfortable probably just a bit of perspective there but Kiri, I know you would totally do what it takes I mean this is the, the this is the crazy thing I do live in a place where our normal kind of behaviors to get simple things like food and fuel and medicine are in, by many of much of the world insane. And to get medicine, you have to hire someone to go on a bus to another country to buy it. With you need to give them foreign currency cash. They have to smuggle it. They have to bribe the. the I wanted to say all that, but I didn't want to because I wasn't sure if I was allowed to. So I think you, yeah, I think you can tell that. Um, <laughs> okay, good. Uh, even if you buy it from a pharmacy, basically mm. they've done that. <laughs> they right. can officially bring wow. it in, but but it's very difficult. It takes a long time and they can't wait because something like diabetes medicine or epileptic medicine or whatever it is, something you need, you know, you can't wait. We can't wait. You can't sit there being delayed for three months at the border while something is being, some yeah. dispute is being resolved or something. So, yeah. So, I mean, it's kind of become a whole system. And although that's 
yeah, pretty shocking if you if you if you're looking from the outside. It is kind of our norm, and um, you know, it has taught people here. I see in Zimbabwe and other developing countries the incredible amount of kind of resilience and entrepreneurial thinking because mm, true. can't yeah. wait for anyone to come and rescue you you know you can't the state is never going to pay you a pension or provide you free health care or give you food if you're starving you, you've got to make a plan so if you sit around and complain which i mean look we all do because we we're human but if you do it for too long that's it curtains basically you die so, yeah so, so people, yeah you die so people yeah. figure out other ways and Part of the amazing thing about that is that they collaborate. You know, we do have these collaborations wow. and systems. I don't can't remember if I told you this story, but some years ago we had uh, national petrol uh, shortages and all the fuel mm. in this country is imported. And there was some dispute with whoever we were importing it from another country. And so there was a blockade or whatever it was. And for whatever, it was a political reason, but there was none available. Mm-hmm. And so... Six months later, we're like, so either the economy completely fails because no one can get to work, no one can, you know, take their produce to market, nothing is going to happen, or we've got to come up, we've got to make a plan. So it's kind of the unofficial motto of this country is Zimbabweans Mm -hmm. make a plan. And literally me and my neighbors, we were fairly new at this point. It was probably 15 years ago. So um, we did not come up with this plan at all. Now I think I'm a bit more entrepreneurial thinking, but at that point I was like, oh my goodness, this is insane. I'm just going to get a bicycle. That was as far as I got thinking. (laughs) And, 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 you know, reduce my radius to sort of within a a very close uh, five kilometer radius, basically. But no, my neighbors got together and they knocked on the door and they said, hey, Juliet, we are pooling our funds and we're going to charter a tanker um, by 20,000 liters of fuel from South Africa. And yeah. so we're asking you, will you buy a thousand liters? So there's 20 people. It's a thousand dollars. Will you wire a thousand dollars to this account in South Africa? That was not the name of the petrol company, by the way. And hope that <laughs> you just have to trust us. And we were like, okay, yeah, we'll do it. So we, uh, we wired the thousand dollars and, um, in due time, in wow. due time, a week later, two weeks later, the petrol tank came. And then it transpired that we had to hire a petrol station. Well, I mean, I, again, I wouldn't know where to begin. Do you? <laughs> it's not something you normally do. <laughs> but this no, it's not something I've done lately. <laughs> just go and ask. <laughs> I just go and speak to this guy. So all the yeah. petrol companies had to were mandated to stay open, even though there was no fuel. So they yes. still had attendants sitting around. They were still paying their staff and no money coming in. So they were quite grateful right. to, to rent out their little tanks and underground tanks, 20,000 litre tanks, not that little. And then they said, you know, please, could we all come and collect the petrol? And then, I mean, you know, even as an individual, a thousand liters, unless you've got a lot of cars, we had we only had one that took that kind of fuel. How the heck are we going to store it? So then we had to run around and buy barrels, metal barrels, and, you know, and then go and collect all the and, fuel. And hope no one lights a match. And, and yep, hope no one lights a match. And meanwhile, it's declared illegal to uh, keep wow. to store fuel in barrels. So, so then we were like, well, now what? <laughs> anyway, so we just made another plan because you make a plan and then you find it doesn't solve everything, but then you make the next plan and then you make the next plan. And it's just a really helpful way of getting through a hugely complex situation. Because, you know, it's, it's, I guess yeah. it's kind of like hitting the elephant one bite at a time. I don't really like that phrase, but everyone knows it. You focus because you them. live around elephants as well. So. I know, and I quite like them. I'm, you know, I, didn't think I think I they're would, awesome. I don't think I'd eat, eat them. They're huge. They are huge, yeah. I'd get yeah. very full. 
that would, yeah, you probably yeah. would, yeah. But like, yeah. no one said it had to be at one meal, did they? But that's no, true. Right. Good point. Anyway, <laughs> yes. I was just thinking, would I eat an elephant? <laughs> well, you would if you were starving, I'm sure. But I know, know. But see, we eat kangaroos here, and some would say, "Oh, you're eating Skippy, the kangaroo." So you know, and I had a pet lamb, and I know I became a vegetarian for a long time after my pet lamb. Because I didn't want to eat lambs. I know. So I guess it's just not my norm to have an elephant out my backyard and think, oh, I'd have a bite. Anyway, sorry, I got rather distracted by the elephant's story. I mean, it wasn't even I don't a story, have one in my it? garden, but it's pretty cool. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Hey, you know, you talk about resilience, and I think that, like, is such a – I think that's what we need as leadership. We need to have resilience that there are the, the pressures that are going to come along. There are the challenges. How do we do leadership in a new way really well, right? With resilience is part of that. How do we, how do you see we can be more of a resilient leadership or leaders out there across the globe? How can we build resilient leaders? Or how can we be more resilient how can as we leaders? Be more resilient leaders? Yeah, um, either. Both. I think we can we can be more resilient leaders by uh, giving ourselves. That. Well, I mean, we've sort of covered it before. It's by by being able to um, shift our style and our view so that we can see other people take other people's views into perspective, and then build collaborations. And that's how you become a leader. You can't really be a leader on your own. Mm. Although I've tried it for years and years and years. Did <laughs> it work? work? No. No. <laughs> no. Dang it. No. Um, I know. It's kind of weird, isn't it? So, yeah, that's one thing. And how we build uh, resilient leaders, I think, are by somewhat by it being by ourselves being role models and also identifying role models and mm. kind of finding a light, amplifying what they're doing. Connecting people is so important. And I think also connecting. I love the idea of unlikely partnerships, unlikely collaborations. That's the so, best, right? It's the best. They they do seem to be really productive, I find. And so because people are free of that kind of particular way of thinking. Mm. So, for instance, when we had to make a ventilator as part of our oxygen therapy support project for Zimbabwe, Kufema, the people who designed it, we had, a, we had, I don't know, 500 volunteers at the beginning. And then, you know, some of them got tired because it took, takes time and we didn't have, we could, all the borders were closed. We couldn't bring anything in. It was a tough, tough assignment. And so people dropped away and the core group that stayed and worked every day for three months with no pay within a country with 97% unemployment where the economy is really bad and people really do need the salaries. It was kind of amazing. The guys who stuck it through mm. were students and wow. none of them were the right kind of engineer. None of them was a medical engineer. We did have advisors. We did have, you know, the right people to make sure that we wouldn't do anything dangerous. But the guys who were getting on with it, one was an electronic engineer. He, one of them hadn't graduated and one of them is doing his degree now. And they got on really well. They figured it out. They just had a go. They were fearless and they just kept going. And mm. yeah, and it just, and I just was so impressed by that. And it's just not that they were unlikely because they were still engineers, but I couldn't help thinking that even when we link them to some top global, you know, they were linked to the MIT team in in, in the US, mm. um, some top engineers and somebody, I overheard a comment, somebody made, oh, well, now we're working with the best brains on the planet. And I was like, yes, but, can, you know, but can they make something out of the things that we have to make things out of? Yeah. You know, can you take a Toyota windscreen 
a wiper motor and make a ventilator that's going to be reliable and not kill someone from, well, our guys can, they did, you know? So, so wow. I just was these unlikely ways of thinking and unlikely partnerships that spark things and bring it to life. And I think that um, as leaders, we, it, it's incumbent on us to, you know, to give people a kind of a chance to really say what they think and to invite people to the table who aren't normally there and then, and then empower them. You can't just bring people in and dump them and that. hope that they will be able to speak up and say what they really think because it can be pretty intimidating. Just um, a little. So, so you have to, yeah, so you have to kind of, you know, bring them along and show them things and, t- and show them the behind the curtains and be really frank with people and say, you know, it took me decades, Kerry Marie, because I didn't really come from the business sector at first. I came from international development. So it took me decades to realize that business leaders knew not very much more about business than mm-hmm. anybody else and a lot of it a lot of a lot of being a good business leader is, is being able to make it up and just be just make a decision act confident uh, obviously you try and you know we get the information you have but you there's no kind of bright shiny answer well as a consultant the way that I came from I was just I yeah. had to give bright shiny answers so I assumed that business people had them all the time mm. and now I'm like when I go and talk to young entrepreneurs, I'm like, just so you know, everybody makes it up, and it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> and everybody I'm telling, everybody telling them that it's such a relief. You can see them; they're like, oh. I mean, they're a bit shocked when you talk about their heroes, but I think it's important to be that honest and yeah. just explain that and kind of put it, put some seed, kind of like drop breadcrumbs for 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 a little path so yes. they can see the way through, yeah. and then let them choose however they want to, to get there. I mean, that's the thing. Oh my gosh, you brought out so many little gems in that. And I think, you know, we started talking around the resilience side of that and how these different things help us to support to be better in that way. But I also think you brought up an issue or not an issue, but like a concept around something that I'm, I mean, you know, that I'm very much into, which is the pioneering of leadership. I think that you know, part of this new approach is is leaders that are willing to pioneer. And for us to be able to pioneer, again, it's curating those safe spaces for those to have a voice, but those to have a voice that can think differently and use different pieces to innovate new solutions that are actually going to be sustainable at the table. And I think we don't necessarily do that well uh, you know, throughout the leadership landscape, I'd love to think how can we do that better? Like obviously you're in a place where there is no other choice but to do that and so it, it enables, it empowers people to actually use their brains, start stepping up and going, well, what have I got in my hand? What is the problem? What can I bring as a solution to this, right? How do we do that in a better way because I think, you know, and you know that I think this, that I feel people are, we're missing out on a massive piece because people aren't innovating in new ways because they've kind of got stuck in, like I said, they're not thinking or they're going, well, this is what I've got to work with. And I'm like, actually, we've got so much to work with and so much, you know, I, I always hear this thing of, oh, I believe there's nothing new that you can create and do and bring. And I go, well, actually, I think there's 
the fact that we've got all these resources that we didn't have at one point. This means then if we join these resources, that has to come up with something new. Like to me, that doesn't make sense in a lot of ways, you know, and I've heard it. I think, yes, if you keep to the systems and you keep to the the sort of the norms of how to do things, yes, we've come to the end of that. But I still think that, you know, and I have to go back to the brain because I have always been fascinated with the brain that we have all these brain cells that we don't access. So to me, that means there's a heap of brain cells in my brain. There's a heap of brain cells in your brain, Juliet, that haven't even been accessed. And maybe it's because we haven't stimulated that. Maybe it's because we haven't wired to that piece because it's there's no need for it because you function well without wiring to that. What if we were able to find that? What would we be able to innovate because we were accessing different things? And I think there's that innovative side of us that, I don't know, in a place like where you are, it builds resilience because you have no choice but to do that. But we kind of get lazy sometimes. And I think in the new approach of leadership, it it actually helps to increase this so that this becomes the norm to think out of the box, to think, be, you know, what, what have I got? What can I bring? And I think that's when people really stand in who they are and run their race. Any thoughts around that? Well, I think you just said that pretty perfectly, actually. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh okay, good. But, it, but here's, I really do. I really think that there's this whole piece of pioneering that is kind of scary. It's that uncomfortable moments, right, where it's like, okay, if we are to be the role model and then have followers coming because that's what I feel like a leader is, someone that has people that are following that are coming on that journey with you, how do you do that and how can you be more creative in the way that is actually going to bring the solutions that the world is looking for In like you said, are kind of ready for something different how do we do that and how can we be more effective in that way Uh, so we can grow brain cells says michelle we can michelle that was a very smart comment (laughs) knowing michelle and uh she's gonna get at me when i get off the score but that's the thing right we do have all these brain cells i've seen it i've seen it proven even just in my son's life and in my life as well uh, where my brain was wired my sympathetic nerves weren't talking to my brain and I had to really access you know other brain cells to go actually this is the real wiring that we need to to go to because that's the wrong wiring and it's giving you the wrong signals and really work out how that is but that's because and here's the thing I did that Same with my son, you know, half his brain, brain damage, speckles of brain damage all over. Not meant to function, definitely not meant to talk because all of his talking side of his brain was totally brain damage. Dude, I can't shut him up these days, you know, like when he gets talking, he gets talking. I love my boy. He's amazing. He's also almost 21. And, you know, here's the thing because he learned to wire to different brain cells in his brain so that he could create different pathways and then get different results, right? That's where I feel a lot of our leadership, we have been so wired to a certain conditioning, so wired to certain biases. What if we now look at how can we 
wire to a different pathway and then together let's go on that and that's what these conversations are truly about is going well what are those pathways what are those ways in which we can wire to better patterns to then get different results or how do you do that in what you do how are you wiring to different patterns I'm not sure I'm not sure I look at it that clearly because I'm not I'm very create. I'm kind of very creative and very messy thinker. So I can discern sort of systems, but I actually sort of get sometimes get lost in a kind of big messy. You know, I love. A, I actually love a big creative mm. mess because I think of, I, the way I look at it is there's lots of threads and you can pull on different ones, but I can't see love necessarily that. where they all lead to. And so to me, to, to kind of pattern something is very ordered. I just, How do you I just even think- get the messy bit though? Like as in, is that just because your ba- brain's firing off in all different avenues? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think so. And also mm-hmm. remember as a consultant, you're again, I've been trained to see different options. So I'm see, I'm kind of the options girl. I see a thousand options. It drives my, it's also somewhat of a, a gender difference, but typical example, it drives my husband nuts because he asked me to navigate from A to B. And I'm like, well, you could turn left here and then you can turn right. And then at the third thing, oh, wait a minute. Oh, you could have gone right back there and then you can go left here. And then he's like, just tell me the way. <laughs> like, I'm yeah. trying to figure out the best route. He's like, well, you don't need to figure out the best route. You just need to figure out a route. And that's interesting because as a consultant, generally the best route was what was required, not a route, but the best route. <laughs> so, um, so I got kind of into a habit of over, over, overthinking there. But yeah, I mean, I just think that now I've lost the question, haven't I? Cause I've just, no, I you just, haven't. It's all good. Myself. Um, um, but I, 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 I just, think that, that's exactly it, right? Your brain does work like this. And that's why you lose the, the track of it because your brain's like, well, and I've got this and this and da da da. And there's so many, but we need to have people like you at the table that do think like that, right? That are thinking like that. And I think that's why you need other people at the table that maybe can take that big scrambled thinking, all yeah. those ideas, put them on the wall and then go, hey, this sounds good. This sounds good. Now we've got three options. What do you think out of these three, Julia? Absolutely. And yeah. bring that back down to going, okay, and this is the one that now we've chosen this one and let's execute on that. That's why we need different people at the table. We need, you know, different distinctions at the table because you can think that big. Do you know what? Not everyone can think that big, right? And to think that scrambled and that innovative, but we need that at the table. Now, in places that could be frustrating because they're like, oh, she keeps coming up with all these ideas, all this thing. But that's, again, you've got to be in the right environments that actually encourage that. And I think part of this new approach to leadership is that we have places where that is actually the norm. I like to think of it as, you know, and that's why, you know, the incubator concept is so important to me because I want to hear those things. I want us to be able to hit things out at the wall and then go, okay, out of that, do you think that would be the one that would get you closer to from problem to solution? Uh, yeah. Okay, now let's work on that piece. That's where I think, you know, it's got like a scientist in a lab. They don't just go straight in there and go, ha, 
this is how we do this experiment, right? And this is the result we're going to get at the table. They throw a lot of things into those incubators and all those different things. And then they come out going, hmm, no, that wasn't quite right. Let's do that all over again. And I go, dude, can we not just get that? Anyway, but that's what we need, right? Because we need people that can do things like that so that we can come up with maybe different ways in which we can move forward and move forward more effectively and efficiently. Indeed. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's very interesting. So for example, to give you another example of the project mm. I'm working with, Kofema, one of the big problems we're, challenges we're facing is that the country's running out of oxygen. Now, interestingly, this has happened in almost every country in the world that's had um, a massive COVID increase. The UK ran out for a while and was running very low. India very quickly realized that this was going to be a problem and preempted it by declaring that anyone with an industrial oxygen canister could repurpose it for medical oxygen they're bottled in a slightly different way for to guard against impurities so you can't normally just take one without kind of extra vacuuming it and cleaning it and and making sure that that uh, you change the the regulator which is the gauge etc so that there's no oil that gets breathed in so Zimbabwe, we've got this problem of run, running out of oxygen, and so 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 are many other developing countries. And a group of engineers in South Africa came up with this idea: where why don't we take a a valve from a ventilator, one of those big hospital ventilators that are super complicated, not a not a kind of you know bodged emergency ventilator as such, just a, a, a proper old ventilator, and we will put it on the oxygen mask. And you know what? They've saved so much oxygen. Mm-hmm. So um, a canister of 9.2 kg, which under COVID, COVID users, COVID patients use much more oxygen than regular ox- patients who need oxygen because of the um, damage to the lungs. So a sick, uh, an averagely sick patient on COVID who has uh, needs oxygen therapy can have the biggest canister they sell in Zimbabwe is 9.2 kg of oxygen. It's a pretty big one. But that only only lasts eleven hours, um, and with the mask, it can last fifty six hours. Now, this is really critical, and it's not just about saving the pennies. It's about the fact yeah. that the oxygen factory there's one in the country, and it may be three hundred kilometers. It may be six day journey from where you are. So, how the heck are you going to change your oxygen bottle? And there aren't enough bottles for you to have two. You might not even get one. You might even have a smaller one. But, you know, it's taken this global pandemic and oxygen shortage has been around in Africa mm-hmm. and other countries. It's not been a problem in the West, but it's been around in developing countries for decades. For a long time. Yeah. Decades. Yeah. And now, only now, have somebody come up with this seemingly simple idea. I guess it was a super complex boffin engineering. I don't mm-hmm. know. but um, it's And it's never been done before. And it kind of seems bizarre that we didn't again maybe that goes back to our talking about patterns and habitual thinking that we don't think that we need to improve it because now it works and it's cheap and so people who don't can't afford oxygen that's their loss you know I mean I don't think people actively go around thinking that but that's the result the end result of it so yeah it's just amazing how much innovation has had to come out now in you know in a kind of challenge with a crisis basically we've had to come up with these new ideas but I feel like some of them were there all along. We just didn't ever really put the conditions in. Yes. Um, yeah, the conditions. Or maybe the drive wasn't there because it's like all of a sudden it's become a massive thing and, and it's brought to attention, right? 
And it's personal. I mean, it's we're all in it. Ah, Look, and it's personal. There you go. Another yeah. interesting point I see here, you know, and in other mm. places, there are huge disparities. There are some enormously wealthy people who could mm. afford their own host by their own hospital, seriously, or fly to anywhere. Except the borders have been closed, and if there's yeah. no oxygen in the country, there isn't even any in their private hospital, and that's a bit of a comeuppance, really, for mm. some people because. They've never really been in the situation where my health depends on your health. Yeah. <laughs> right? yeah it's so true. My money won't shield me. And so that's a, it, it, it's been quite an interesting uh, realization amongst certain elites, uh, very super elite sectors. And yeah, and it's kind of just leveled the playing field a bit, as it were. That sounds a bit, mm-hmm. a bit, a bit callous. Isn't that interesting? Wow. All right. Here's the crazy thing. We're almost up on our hour that we normally do the decision table. So I want to start finishing now. Um, I think I got you on early just so we can talk for longer. But, you know, because we, we talk a lot and I know there's been amazing gems that have come from what we've said today. I know that, you know, we've talked about things like resilience. We've talked about things like, uh, help me out, Juliet, things like collaboration, innovation, things that, yeah. you know, conditioning and variables at the table and and all sorts of things that kind of, you know, can propose a little uncomfortable situations but really you know can help also build massive resilience in us and and as leaders you know to be new role models and and to be different role models I guess and to curate these spaces that that help to build leaders that are resilient I think is a massive thing that's come out of it if people want to know more about you and what you do how do they get hold of you uh, well, and I guess this is being broadcast on Facebook in the first instance. It is. So you can probably look me up on Facebook just under my name, Juliet Le Breton, and um, you'll find links to the various projects. You shall know me as Juliet Le Breton. You shall know me as Juliet. <laughs> because that is my name. I actually had a very funny conversation the other day with someone when I said the other day it was yesterday or the day before who said do you like to be called Jules or do you like to be called Juliet because some of my family members call me Jules and I said well when I was a teenager I thought Juliet was a really embarrassing kind of you know basically (laughs) very posh sounding name and I didn't like it's very posh it's very posh and so Jules was a bit better because anyone could be Jules right right. kind of like and and it was cool I thought as a teenager Mm. Anyway, then a few years later, I actually thought, well, Juliet's quite a pretty name and I quite like it really. And it's a bit different. And, you know, I know more people called Jules than I know named Juliet. So I kind of tried to, to switch back and switch back. And this guy said, Oh, I see. So you just decided, sod it. I'm going to be posh. And I went, Yeah, <laughs> sod it. I'm posh. So there you go. I always think of you as posh. Yes, yes, posh. <laughs> While you're doing those quilts that we talked about earlier on in this conversation. Okay, so one of the things I do ask everyone on the decision table is this question, and that is from our conversation today, what is it that you're going to take from this? You know, maybe it's a a new insight or a confirming something or, a you know, an action that you're going to take. What are you going to take from our conversation today? I think it's really important. One of the things that we, you were un, you affirmed for me, it, it's really important to, for leaders to build other leaders, because that to me is a sign of a good, of a good leader. So to be building these, these characteristics of innovation, of resilience, of cultural flexibility and being able to see things from different points of view, 
I think it's important to make sure that whatever I do, I am bringing up, you know, I'm helping, I'm inspiring, and I'm kind of um, helping to create conditions for someone to just to see to see a little behind the curtain and to see what what's what's got me this far and and maybe to make introductions for them basically to just to make sure that at all times there are four or five people they may not be the same people for decades but at least that I'm helping you know then take the next step forward or to see a way love that yeah and I think from our conversation what I'm going to take is you know the whole role modeling of you know this this approach with the innovative side of it in other words what is it that you've just got in your hand that we're not thinking about because we keep getting stuck in sort of well this is the way it's been or this is how it you know needs to look like because the systems tell us this the everyone else tells us and I go we get so stuck in the old school of you know, style of uh, leadership where it was just very telling. And I think part of this is this new approach is is this innovative piece that, you know, sometimes people go, oh, but innovation is so overused. No, innovation is just so exciting. It creates opportunities. There's so much possibility within innovation. And I think how can we bring bring the sexy back but with innovation right like how can we bring that back into creating real real spaces where innovation is just the norm in it that you can come with all those scattered brain ideas and we want those in the pot and then we know how to then pull it apart and go, hey, let's just take one of those and go with that. Because I think that's where, you know, in that incubator of becomes such, I don't know, the such the opportunity for possibility. And I think sometimes we miss out on that because we've forgotten how to do that or we're not encouraging or, like you said earlier, empowering people to be able to to do that and and. Be a, to be able to do that also means then that we have to create resilient leaders because when you think differently and I know and you know when we've thought differently that has not always been the most accepted way to think it's not the most loved way people won't always understand you I've had so many and you know this so many in my world who haven't understood what I'm talking about, let alone supported me and had my back. I loved how you started before we came on here and you go, you know exactly what I'm going to say, that those giants, I said, I love having the giants because you mentioned, oh, I love how you got those behind you. And I go, I love having them behind you. And you go, yeah, they've got your back. And I just thought, ah, how cool is that? That is such a, like I'm never, ever going to forget that now. Like when I look at them, because I'm so visual and that's why I love having them there because there's times when I go, what am I doing? Why am I saying this? I feel like I'm hitting a wall, whatever it is, right? And I go, yeah, but look, there are some people that have made amazing footprints and those are great, but we should be springboarding off that in creating these amazing footprints forward as well and in leaving a legacy behind in our own worlds. And I love that. So I've got some great giants behind me who have got my back. That is so good. 
For everyone that's listening today and being a part of it, Tanya says hello, by the way, Tanya Allen. And, you know, thank you for coming and being on here and listening and being, you know, create. I, I think that, you know, Juliet, for you, thank you for coming and being a part of here. You know, it's not always comfortable, even you being on the other side of a screen with me. And I know that. And you know that I'm going to ask questions that are going to make you squirm. But girl, you squirmed well today. And because of that, you know, I believe that because you're willing to do this, others have got insights that they don't use those as lenses to look through. They haven't got that perspective because they're not in the places that you are in, haven't had to work through some of the things that are uncomfortable for you. You know, that is, I just think that's so hilarious saying that. So that's why I'm bringing that up again, that uncomfortable, that uncomfortable moment. Anyway, um, you know, you're, you're an amazing woman who has got a huge heart and, I, you know, you often are doing work that is not thanked or a scene on the outside, but you do it a lot behind the scenes. And I just want to say, you know, I see you, I see you as an amazing human being who has a heart to bring much global change across the, the globe. And you do it with what is in your hand and you keep wanting to do more. And you keep wanting to think you are one of these people that are coming up with all these crazy ideas and then you start acting on. And I think that is the difference between you and other people is that even when it looks like you can't do something, even when you go, how do I do this in the environment that I'm in? Even when you go, I've got no more energy to give, you keep having this resilience and to me that is part of you know this leadership if more leaders could be like that we would see much more change across the world now one of the things that I think you can do better is and I can say this because I know her well is collaborate more with other people across the globe that have resources that have tools that can support you and you know if there are listeners then reach out and find out how you can help Juliet to grow what she needs to do in her own little backyard but also just for the the work that you do um, and continue to do across the globe so such a privilege to have you here on the decision table always a privilege to have you in my life whether as client whether as friend whether as a collaborative partner you know we I, I love I love you in my world and I'm so grateful that you came on today and I know it's extremely late where you are so even more grateful that you're on here and so if you have loved this on the decision table, anyone, anywhere, and you are either on here or watching the replay, make sure you share this because, you know, part of part of you being able to share this, Juliet, is that those who are watching, those that are, uh, you know, have got things from this as well, you share this, we can get the word out more, we can spread the word, word and see, create an awareness that is that ripple effect across the globe. So thank you, Juliet. 
Oh, my goodness. Thank you, Kieran Marie. What an absolute honor to be someone who walks alongside Nelson Mandela behind you and those other giants. And they've got your back. And uh, in as much as I, I can, I have to. And it's just been such, yeah. a, such a pleasure chatting. Thank you. No, you're welcome. So if you were to leave everyone with something that is, is there something else you wanted to say? Is there something that you would love to, them to remember um, more than anything? Go forth and prosper. This is, no. this is the moment we have deep and meaningful, you know, piece of, you know, droplet of wisdom. A droplet of wisdom. Yes, that um, Juliet, I know it's in there. Bring it, girl. You've got it. I've got your back, girl. Come on. Um, I can't think of a droplet of wisdom, but I do, but I did, I did just want to comment that we didn't, didn't quite, um, get back to it about the unused. There's so much, so much potential in everybody in terms of even brain, brain cells that are not being used, um, brain path, new brain pathways that can be forged. Um, so much potential in every human person. So whoever you are, whatever situation you're in, I believe in you. Kiri Marie believes in you. I know plenty of other people will believe in you. Lots of people love you. It's just please try and believe in yourself and just take that next step mm-hmm. forward. If you need help, reach out to us. That's what yeah. we're here for. And then also just, did you know, did you know, Kimberly, you probably do know that you have brain cells in your gut lining. So your brain isn't even just in your brain. You have these intelligent cells all over your body. And so it's way more than just discovering yeah. underutilized parts of your brain. Um, intelligence is, I believe, in a collective intelligence, a collective human intelligence. Uh, when we work together, that's when we seem to have even better ideas and even better solutions and more creative solutions and it's not just the patchwork quilt that we talked about earlier where you bring one piece and someone else brings another piece but kind of new ideas come and nobody really knows where they came from they came from the universe Mm -hmm. they came came however you believe them but they do something new gets uh, created in that moment and so that's why as you said collaboration is is critically yeah. important and I do believe that and I'm I am aware that I'm not the best at it but uh you know here's to learning and growing and getting better oh, I love it. that see there's the gold everybody I'm ending this broadcast now stay there don't go away Juliet I will speak to you after I stop the broadcast thanks everyone for being here bye amazing droplets of wisdom for you from today's episode make sure you subscribe Ensure you leave an awesome rating and review. Our hope is this podcast creates a new awareness, activates ownership to what is next, a curiosity for the need to be part of the change, and to make footsteps of sustainability from today onwards. If you want to further your journey with us, then apply to join us at our next Leaders Movement Parlay. The link is in the show notes. We appreciate you. Help us to help build a tribe who make humanity as stakeholders. To achieve this together, recommend this podcast to leaders, innovators, and movement changers. Big love until we see you on the next Decision Table Series podcast episode.